Hi, everybody. Welcome to Off the Record, episode number two. Um, we got a lot of great feedback and some nice listens from the first episode, and we appreciate that a lot. One thing was when we taped it, we didn't quite have our website set up. So for anyone looking to find us online, you can go to offtherecord.fm or follow us on Twitter at offtherecordfm. Also, um, whenever I listen to podcasts, I appreciate a lot when the podcasters sort of write up a running script of what was talked about on the episode, and that would be called show notes. So if you want to find any of the show notes to keep along and dig into links with us, you can go to offtherecord.com backslash tagged backslash episodes. Great. Um, so first up today would be um, a discussion popped up online this week about whether a band like Five Seconds of Summer can sort of cross back uh, pop punk into the mainstream world. Have you listened to that band, Jesse? Uh, I uh, sadly did. <laughs> while I could totally admit that um, I have a guilty pleasure, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to publicly embarrass myself. I really like One Direction, One Thing. I think that's a great song. Um, that stuff is really terrible. Well, the interesting thing about Five Seconds of Summer in in like specific is that they co-wrote and they recorded with John Feldman and Alex Gaskarth from All Time Low and the dude from Boys Like Girls and a bunch of other guys. So they are they're from Australia, but they they truly like pop punk, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. Like they they all have those writing credits down. Um, but so Alt Press wrote an article um, sort of saying that this band might be really important to pop punk again. And and then uh, Thomas from Absolute Punk wrote sort of a response article saying Five Seconds Summer kind of isn't that important to pop punk, but there might be some other bands that are. Um, and I thought it was an interesting discussion because I started talking uh, with a different Jesse that writes for my website and he brought up to him well, Blink-182 was just the five seconds of summer of his generation. Uh, and, and you're from that same generation as him, but you don't, you don't quite agree on that, right? I don't. I, I, so, so my thing with what punk rock is, and obviously, like, when you get into these discussions, I'm never going to pretend that um, I'm right and somebody's wrong. You know, punk is whatever you want to say. But to me and what I identify with, the, like, um, I read this quote from Joe Strummer about a year ago, and so that's you know, 19 years into my punk rock existence, um, where he said, um, you know, punk rock, it is the attitude, it's the don't give me any bullshit because I can see right through the heart of the situation attitude because I'm wise to the tricks of the world. We're sick of all the bullshit. Give us some truth. That's the energy of punk rock. So to me, what punk rock is, is when you're saying something that's super super real and doing something that's super true and more real than what the rest of reality is like i saw that movie uh palo alto last night and man it's so good and but it was like you know like when i first saw the movie kids that was more real than anything anybody was saying palo alto last night was more real than what anybody's saying and the difference between what i think why i think blink 22 is punk and why i don't think five seconds of summer is is because Five Seconds of Summer is like pandering. They know when they sing about an American apparel shirt that they're pandering and trying to get it. It was the same reason. And, you know, like the funny thing is I don't think All Time Low is punk at all. Um, When they're doing photo shoots with their fucking shirts off in a pool, they're popping a fucking champagne bottle on the cover of the record. 
It's fucking pandering bullshit trying to market a fucking lifestyle. I don't find that fucking punk, and I don't find this punk, but when Blink-182 was singing stupid lyrics, it was more real because that's what people thought. And, like, you know, what kids thought, some people were like, oh, they're too old. But I felt those things, and I'm near their age, and I still feel those things, and, you know. So Blink, though, I mean, Blink also did the whole, and, you know, All Time Low completely just, uh, you know, took it from them. Blink did, you know, 15 years ago, that whole sort of, like, you know, na- half naked thing or whatever, and it wasn't on an album cover, but it was on every music video. And they were, they were, if you ask them, they were doing that to uh, sort of like mock the Backstreet Boys or mocking uh-huh. Sync or whatever. Um, but I guess with someone like All Time Low, ten years later, tapping into that, that is a more pandering thing than, hey, we're clearly poking fun at, you know, In Sync running down a street or running down a beach naked. Yeah, I mean, Travis Barker plays every show. I'm not saying when you take off your shirt, like, you know, Fat Mike plays shirtless. Like, you know, there's a thing that... Beautiful thing. Oh, God. Um, There's a thing with Blink-182 that, like, it felt, like, real. It felt rebellious and real, and, like, they were telling the truth that they didn't see in the world. And, like, one of my big things is that every group I've ever worked with that makes great music that people identify with. And like, I even put Limp Biscuit, like the record I did with them into this is that they just make the music they want to hear. And that's when people want to hear music. And when bands get terrible, and I like, you know, like in my new book, I kind of use Blink way too, as an example of like, I think one of the reasons like they had to do self titles, they didn't feel like singing about dog farts anymore. And that's the real, and that's the punk thing is like, it's not gratuitous, rebellion and it's not gratuitous let's get girls into our band by posing with our shirts off and showing off our hot tops like to me that's bullshit and singing about how good a girl looks in an american peril shirt is total fucking bullshit that's fair uh i think that i think the more interesting thing about that about those articles that went around this week was sort of uh a step further if you could get beyond you know arguing about five seconds of summer and you know like couple hundred people did that mm-hmm. love five seconds of summer did attack me on twitter which was fun this <laughs> it week was <just> hilarious <laughs> but um I, I think the interesting thing a level a level deeper in that writing was well how well like can pop punk become a mainstream thing again uh and and when pop punk was a mainstream thing i was you know i was in like third to sixth grade and it mm-hmm. wasn't it wasn't really something that i could understand anything different from you know anything else on the radio but you know ever since that fallout boy panning at the disco era sort of subsided we haven't seen anyone like this on the radio again uh and so all press's article was about well maybe five seconds of summer can get someone like all time low on the radio and and thomas from absolute punk point was actually a day to remember it could be that band instead um yeah do you do you what what direction could you see it being the actual one to happen again I, I, if any, I, I think that it's different than both those. I think that what it is, is we live, you know, in this democratization of music that we have now is that somebody's just going to write a great record. Like no one could have predicted Lord. No one could have predicted Gautier's, um, someone I used to know. Those weren't things that were in the cards. I think somebody's just going to write a great record and they're going to have a great team. And that's going to go big. I mean, who would have predicted that Issues would have had a, a song in the top 40? Yeah. No, they they, they <laughs> like, hit it out of the park. 
And like, you know, I think it's just, it's really a matter these days um, of that we have a democratization of music and somebody can write a record that good that does it. Um, I could see, I mean, a data rimmer is just so massive and big. I mean, it's possible it could be them, but you know, um, I think that that is the thing, but, and you know, there is an interesting thing that like, it takes more than one band to bring everything up. Like it wasn't just, you know, I obviously lived through the Nirvana thing and, um, you know, that took Nirvana and Pearl Jam being, it needs to be more than one band. It's the same reason, like you don't see like, you know, even when Rolling Stone does articles on Lord and she's writing about Mount Kimby and like all these obscure um, indie rock bands like Wolfang and all that stuff, they're not getting that big off of it because Lord isn't a movement yet. She's just right, she's just anomaly. one person that's yeah. currently standing out that everyone can get behind. Yeah, but there needs to be a second and a third and a, and a fourth. That's I think that, that's pretty interesting because to me, um, you know, five. I had I hadn't. I guess five seconds of summer is on the radio. Or, you know, certainly one one direction is, but even a few years removed that kind of music wasn't necessarily on the radio as far as I know. And so, yeah. I, you know, I, well, I could foreseeably see an all-time low song following that up, but at the same time, I don't know if I could see that. I don't think all-time low writes good enough songs, but that's just me. But um, interesting thing, though, when you talk about One Direction, keep in mind One Direction is not on the radio. One Direction only has one top 40 song. That's um, interesting. So they, they're this anomaly, and Left sits as flawed as he is actually wrote a great article about this that you know they're the weird anomaly of what internet really is these days and how powerful the internet is is that one direction is arguably one of the biggest bands in the world right now but they're not fueled by singles and they're not fueled by radio they're fueled by um what do you call it like the internet and music consumption on streaming and itunes downloads and like kind of like the twitter thing and that's what they're all about these days and um you don't have to be paying money to a radio promotion uh, thing to be the one of the biggest bands in the world anymore. And that's what's so different about music today compared to uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Or I even agree. five years. Um, you know, there was no record of a band being this big um, off of something like, uh, like, you know, off of no radio hits. Like, you would at least get pushed up into the top 40 with the sales, but they're an exception. And it would seem to someone that doesn't listen to the radio at all, like like me, I guess, that yeah. they would have, you know, a new hit every month because they are a band that can sell out an entire tour in, you know, a, in a minute or yeah. less. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it's just power. Um, to me, the the day to remember angle is interesting as well, just because it's obviously more rock geared um, and like you mentioned issues a label like rise records is continuing to have more and more success um where some of these bands like of mice and men or issues start out much more uh i guess metalcore sounding with screaming or whatever but then sort of get watered down into a more uh friendly friendly sound like a sleeping with sirens out mm -hmm. and you know they sold seventy thousand records week one they're yep. obviously not on the radio but that's a direction that I could see more viable is at if and when rock sort of ticks back on that those bands on rise as they continue and continue to grow, you know, billboard just wrote a whole, a whole article profiling them. And yep. even though they were wrong on the revenues numbers and just took a guess, like it's, it's clear that something's in the water there and that, that there is music is 
growing and growing again uh, with or without radio. Yeah, I mean, I and you know, you, when you look at the numbers, like it's actually funny. Um, I was talking to a friend who works in radio about how all the Nielsen things that the radio stations are actually arguing against Nielsen for publishing numbers now because oh, wow. they don't want people to know how much radio has died, which is just stunning. Um, and it's that thing of like, you know, I actually am somebody who enjoys putting on the radio when I rent a zip car because I want to. To unknow and understand it but like you know it really is i think of who even outside of like punk circles like you know my like father is the only person i know who listens to the radio all day right well you know he's a strong man <laughs> <laughs> uh so i guess that's a good transition though just into into the article that you threw our way uh saying that the problem of music has been solved by the internet and and 20 years ago steve albini who's uh i guess best known for working with uh nirvana among many many other yeah. bands wrote an essay called the the problem with music so do you want to explain that so or the original premise i guess yeah so S steve albini who you know a brilliant mind and probably one of the you know are arguably most definitive producers of the modern era wrote this he wrote a couple of great articles um one of them aside from this was called um some of your friends may already be this fucked about what it's like to sign to a major label anything he's ever committed to paper is worth googling um because they're always some of the most poignant articles i can literally remember like where i there's not many articles i can remember like where i was sitting when i read this article but the problem with music he basically talked about how the whole system is rigged and boiled it all down um, to that, like, all the people who make money off of music are the wrong people. That anybody doing good by music is the person who doesn't do it. But um, he now says that that's been solved by the internet, which is kind of what we're talking about, is that, you know, you're now able to have these Macklemores, and, like, while Macklemore gets this, like, stupid thing about, like, is he DIY or not? And there's a 20 think piece articles about this you can read. No matter what, the difference between Macklemore and everybody else's is Macklemore doesn't have to answer to a board when he says he wants to talk about gay rights in a song, and he gets more of his profits that he can invest back into his music and his promotion, and you're not dividing the pie in the same stupid way that the pie used to be um, divided, and that's because of the internet. And he talks about, like, you know, the two greatest innovations in his lifetime have been punk rock and the internet, and... Just like we were talking about with One Direction is that it's stunning that, you know, you can be a band and make a living and not have any, you know, MTV is not a viable thing. Like, while I think YouTube is one of the most viable things, you don't even need YouTube. You can choose. There can be so many different outlets and ways you can go about music promotion when back in the day there was about three if you wanted to be a semi-successful band that made a living off of music. So there's that avenue, though, and, you know, One Direction's the the cream of the crop of that where they're so big it doesn't matter mm -hmm. um and then there's malcolmore who's also s so big but he he does things more on his own whether it's completely diy or not but then but then i don't where i find an where i find issue with saying that the problem of music has been solved by the internet is that you know there are a lot of models now that record labels employ that that are major problems you know a lot of labels and our immediate you know punk scene now employ a 360 model and they yeah. would and they argue on that front that it's strictly because of the internet and it's because uh you know your record only sells fifty thousand copies now if you're lucky if you're very lucky right and 
versus maybe that 50,000 would have been 250,000. But because uh, we need to give you a really nice budget to record your album and we need to market it and, and blah, 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 then those labels now feel like they need to take cuts of a, ba- a touring band, a band that, let's say, you know, is, is only tops is going to play a 2000 cap room tour. Uh, so if you're in New York, like a Terminal 5 or a Philly, an electric factory. And so a label may say, well, hey, you, you're touring off of this success now. Um, you're obviously doing well. Your albums aren't selling that much, but, you know, they're clearly being listened to somehow. We're going to dig into your uh, touring, you know, your your touring success in terms of your your money brought in. We're going to take a cut of that. And also your online merch, since you're, mm-hmm. you're a band that sells a lot of merch, we're going to take a cut of that now as well. Yeah, and, you know, you as I can feel for the label side of it is that, you know, how are they supposed to make money when no one's downloading music? And especially like, you know, if, you know, uh, as we'll get into later, downloads may be a thing of the past soon. Um, but like, you know, I, I do you feel like 360s are the norm or because I, you know, in my when I see 360s aren't the norm, though, I think that they're the exception to the rule. Or I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think it with our and I can only, I don't I don't know in terms of the whole world of record labels, but I think just from knowing when I I have shopped individual deals or I have talked with other managers about individual deals, it, it kind of does seem like it's about a fifty fifty thing, um, where you know a label that you might think, oh, there's no way they do. Well, actually, they do. And whether you can negotiate a label out of that or not is one thing, but you know, a lot of a lot of them offer it to start out because why wouldn't you? And some bands just agree to them um, because you know they don't have the right team or, or something else. And so, if that you know stupid eighteen year old band agrees to a three sixty deal, and then two years later when they release their first album, sort of you know blow up, whether that means they sell a lot of online merch or they're getting really good touring that you know, they're tapping into that 360 early. And for those who don't know how a lot of 360s work is, it's not that the minute that you sign, let's say 10% of everything that you make goes to the label. It, it works in a system of thresholds. So uh, Band X, once they um, hit a revenue number of $100,000 on touring or $100,000 on online merchandise, after that point, when it turns into $100,001, that's when the record label starts to take a cut. And I know like $100,000 sounds like a lot, and it is, but it's really not that much. And it's not that much past a few years, if that at all, if, if past a few months. You make a lot of, you can, there's a potential to make a lot of money as a band. And $100,000, if you're a successful band, is really nothing. And especially once a record label takes 10 and a manager takes 15 and a, you know, business manager takes five and so on like that. Suddenly they're just, you're, you're just getting chopped down. So I feel like a lot of the problems with the music, with the internet has been chopped down, but a whole bunch pop back more up, pop more up or more. Pop yeah. Up. There you go. <laughs> I, I, and I think that that one of the better points here too is, is that, you know, there is revenue coming in now and there's, you know, so many people talk about how bands are, you know, there's no way to make money as a band and there is, but the problem is, is that there's this ever long struggle of that as that money comes in, every label figures out how to get into every lawyer, 
changes their percentages and all these things. And people are constantly trying to figure out how to do that. And I, you know, for the musicians listening out here, it's a big war. Like, you know, like I am stunned. I heard of a label recently that doesn't somehow in their contracts, they don't pay the bands their YouTube revenue. See, yeah. And that's, that's great. And that, you know, good <laughs> for that label, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it just blew me away. And it's like, I think it's like, you know, like we were talking about this article on Rise and um, Clyde Smith from uh, Fluxus Research uh, and Hypebot wrote about like, that's one of the big secrets of how Rise did it. And like, if there's anything I see that bands, especially in the punk scene, are doing is like any band who's not making um, YouTube their number one priority is a fool because it's the number one way people discover new music and there's so much money to be made it's so, it's so in, yeah it's so important rise for example they have they are the most successful independent label in the world on youtube in yeah. terms of subscribers and stuff like that and it's you know that's their whole that's actually like kind of their whole business sure like mm -hmm. a lot of their records now are selling really well but that wasn't necessarily the case two or three years ago and you know the youtube is sort of I think the byproduct of why their records are now killing it, like week one or week two, whatever, with a Sleeping with Sirens or an issue mm -hmm. of, a, of Mice and Men, these bands have had you know, years to develop now online. And you know, if you click through Rise's YouTube page, almost all of Sleeping with Sirens' like, recent music videos have like 20 million views, and that's crazy. Wow. Uh, but, and that's why they're selling 70,000 copies of their record in a week. Um, so YouTube is something that's so important. Even with with Knucklepuck, for example, when I when I stepped in, I was so happy to see that they had a YouTube page set up and they had all their stuff on there. And I was like, well, this is great. Like this is an important step. I'm happy to see some bands that are pretty inexperienced can take note of that and are doing that themselves. Um, and I think Rye sort of made it clear to a lot of people too that you have to do that. Uh, but it would be crazy, like you were saying, for if a band would sign a deal where they didn't see a percentage of that YouTube stuff, because that that can that can be so much money. Yeah, and uh, it, it's it was really is funny because I think like after that article this week, I think like every head's gonna perk up of every label like, uh, and they're gonna start going, oh, we have to up our YouTube game because that's one of the that's the a visible thing that rise is doing that everybody can see is they really take it seriously. And like, you know, Jeff at run for cover, you know, smart enough to have Alex uh, from basement basically devoted to putting up videos all day. Right, and it's YouTube. so important. Something like Tuesdays with Tay, you know, yep. they're developing, they're developing a sense of community with their, with their label. I think that's a pretty good distinction from what rise is doing, right? Rise yep. primarily rise just throws up the music. Rice pays a person in-house to do lyric videos because they're mm. really important to them. And yeah. that's sort of their method. And there's, you know, clearly that's great for them. It works perfectly. But, you know, run for covers on a much smaller scale. So instead, they have someone like uh, Alex who who plays in Basement but is great with video. Mm. He'll do a lot of their music videos, but then he does all these other things as well. Uh, so Tuesdays with Tay is sort of the great example of that. And then they do... Uh, a few other things called small talk or uh, gear talk or a few other series where you know they're showing uh, their really excitable you know kind of Tumblr community all these different ways that the label is bringing them entertainment and it doesn't have to just literally be a new song. It can be I'm going to take seven minutes out of my day today to listen to 
this guy who works at this record label answered dumb questions, you know, and it's worked. It's I watch it every single Tuesday and I love it. Yeah, so I, 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 I think I, it's great. And I think those two are totally like the future of what we're going to see. You know, what we every other label is going to be following that. Model. And like the other thing, I think that's really interesting that a lot of people my age don't get. Like I, you know, I often show people um, Jack Conti, the CEO of uh, Patreon and member of that band, Pomplamoose. He hosts chats with his fans in the YouTube comments because then it raises their SEO. And I'm, you know, it's like that funny thing of like. That's not one of the things that people immediately see as visible. But like when you're talking about like the difference of getting people into your band, like if you're not coming up high on searches, like you're not doing like, you know, like when I see a band name themselves something like a town's name or something, it's like you're an idiot because you're <laughs> never like, you know, it's like that funny thing. I used to manage a band called Watching Square Park and I came into it, you know, after they'd been a band for a while. But it was like, OK, great. We're never going to come up on Google. We're never going to come up on YouTube ever in the history of anything. Right, and, and something like that, like that guy does, it's a perfect thing to, one, actually communicate with the people that are interested in talking with you, great, and then, two, also raise the chance of someone else stumbling upon your video. Yeah, and I think the, the, the greater point I want to make is people don't understand, because, I, you know, I think there's, you know, a greater conversation we had is that, like, when you don't do it or you don't have a friend who does it, you think it doesn't exist in this world, especially music business people, they're like, well, I don't know anybody who does that. It's like, great, well, guess what? There's tens of millions of people who literally use youtube comments as a message board these days and spend their days kind i don't know who these freaks are but they're willing to uh consume your music and be a fan of your music and they're commenting and it helps you so embrace it and do everything you can to pour gas on that spark yeah i i completely agree and it's 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 great now that there are so many different ways for me to talk to a band i want to talk to uh and so it's kind of foolish of a band or, you know, definitely a record label to not take control of that, especially, you know, if there is a question like the problem of music, how do we avoid it or how do we get around it? And, you know, there are clearly answers. It's it's tough to do. That's the thing. I, I was answering uh, an email sort of interview for someone that was doing a class project and they, in college and they needed to speak with someone's work that they followed in the greater sort of music industry and one of the questions was, and you know, I, I bet everyone who gets an interview like this, you too, gets asked like, how do you do what you do? Or how do you get to the place where you want to? And every time I get that question, I just answer like, you just have to like, I can't, you just literally have to do it. Uh, yeah. You see like what I'm doing or what, you know, person X or Y is doing. Like you just, I know it seems hard and I know you don't know how to do it. But that person that you're that you want to model yourself over, like after they didn't know how to do it either, you know. No. So how did they do it? Um, and it's just a simple thing of clearly, if someone else can do it, unless they have some sort of gift that you don't, like you can do it as well. Uh, yeah. So if it's a if it's a record label seeing Tuesdays with Tay from Run for Cover and being like, this is great, I'm gonna just copy this. You probably shouldn't do that, but you yes. should probably spend the extra hour to thinking about you know what you could do that could get your community of fans and you know record label record buyers or whatever really excited too and it's just it's your own creativity and creativity is hard and it's supposed to be hard but if you put in that extra legwork like it's gonna have, it's gonna have its success and that's great for you yeah and like i think um 
you know, like, so Jeff Bezos from the CEO of Amazon has that uh, saying that we haven't even woken up on the first day of the Internet's history yet. And um, we haven't even woken up on the potential for YouTube. Like I even talk. it's funny, I talk in uh, my book, Get More Fans, about, you know, a YouTube channel literally can be anything you want to curate. And like people aren't even doing the things like, you know, if fans, if like you're like somebody who likes dumb viral videos, Every month, make a playlist of those dumb viral videos and share it on your channel and, like, let your fans bond with you, like, through that. Like, you know, anything you are, you can think of that's cool. Like, you know, if you're a big fan of, of rap battles or whatever, make a playlist of it, share it. Make a video talking about what you like about it. Like, band, there, there is no band I see using their YouTube video are you using their YouTube channel to the extent that you can use it and really, really like make a big thing in community with your band. And like, we're, we're not even at the tip of the iceberg of uh, what could be done with this technology. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a plus, not a negative, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and even something again, like rise where, or, you know, any, any band, like we're seeing now again, all these smaller bands sell a lot larger numbers than they were doing mm-hmm. like a year ago and getting more and more fans are touring better quicker. Uh, and that's because some of these, you know, technologies or avenues are sort of growing up a little bit, yeah. but they're, they haven't, they haven't hit their stride yet. And that potentially means really big things, whether it's like another band like One Direction who can sort of just do this whole thing without the, you know, without radio or or something else, a hundred thousand records first week, whatever. But it's it's great that there's, you know, these solidified avenues now like Tumblr or YouTube or Twitter, and you know, most of them haven't even hit their stride yet. And that means the people using it, the bands using it, the bloggers, whatever, um, they haven't hit their stride yet either. Yeah, it's it's true. And like even like the other great thing is, is like this stuff keeps going up. Like last week, I guess it was that SoundCloud put up analytics and you can now see where people are listening to your SoundCloud. And this used to be the only good thing about MySpace is MySpace analytics were so unbelievably good. Like, man, I'll tell you like early days of planning man overboard stuff. Like we learned, like we weren't playing cities where we had a lot of fans with MySpace analytics. And right. Exactly. And so I think I, I saw this too, that, uh, I don't know, Hypebot or someone was like, you can now plan your tours via SoundCloud. And sort of the gist of that is, you know, maybe no one is listening to you in this town in Houston, Texas, but a lot of people are in Dallas. So why yeah. don't you go to Dallas this time instead? I, it's funny they say that's because, you know, this technology, whether it's um, you've been able to do this with Next Big Sound. I mean, the Nielsen SoundScan, you know, in 1996, this is a, a really funny story is maybe 97. I booked a club called The Pipeline in Newark, New Jersey, and we would when bands would come to us trying to get us to book their tours and we decide if their guarantee was good enough, we pull Nielsen SoundScan. I can remember we were booking a show for AFI <laughs> and AFI had sold something like 30,000 of their first record in California and 19 copies in New York. And they wanted like a huge guarantee. We were like, fuck off. And sure enough, there was 10 people there. And, you know, I was the sound man and I was up front headbanging because I loved the band. I wanted to give them all the money in the world, but they even, you know, not to be a dick, but they asked for a bodyguard, which I probably shouldn't be outing. 
And we were like, yeah, I'll get like a passed out drunk kid to sit by your dressing room. Don't well, you know, worry about it. Was it, new, like, it was Newark. I don't know that that request wasn't there. <laughs> there, there. There was reason for that. I definitely got mugged getting H2O towels one time uh, on a two-block walk. But uh, no, they, they, they were literally worried about fans. And it was like, yeah, there's no one at that show at all. Yeah. And, uh, but like, that's the funny thing is this technology has been around and you've been able to see on SoundScan this technology for as long as I, you know, since 97. But, you know, the music business also like another one of these things that like kind of getting to that rise thing and like people don't pay attention to the things they should be doing is music business is a lot of people who like to party and don't like to do innovative things. <laughs> like, right. They can talk all day about like to do innovative things, but really at the end of the day. This is a lazy man's industry, and if you are a hardworking person, you're so far ahead of the curve. And never mind if you embrace a new technology, you're so far ahead of people that it's not even funny. Like it's definitely the um, like uh, running in the Special Olympics when you don't have a uh, disorder. Yeah. What was that movie? Uh, that's probably a good time for a sponsor break. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, Bad Timing Records is our sponsor today, which is a bed, a record label run out of a bedroom of two bedrooms in New York and Philadelphia. You can go to badtimingrecords.com to check out vinyl releases from Valencia, Acceptance, Mansions, and many more coming this summer. I've been mastering these records, so I can tell you some of the ones that are coming are really, really awesome. Um, make sure to type in the code OTR10 for 10% off any order before the discount ends on May 31st. Cool. Um, so the the big thing that kind of blew up on Thursday, I guess it was Thursday, was uh, a report came out from the Wall Street Journal that Apple is reportedly uh, buying Beats for the tune to the tune of $3.2 billion. Um, and that was a shock to, I think, truly everyone mm -hmm. uh and and so a few a few quick things to look at before jumping in are uh apple's largest acquisition ever came 20 years ago and it was for 400 million dollars which uh 20 years later with inflation is 600 million dollars so still nowhere even in the realm of this price tag what was that uh, that was next yeah it was next which of course is why apple is now here today and for anyone that doesn't know next um Without nerding out too much, uh, Next was a company that Steve Jobs started after he was banished from Apple. Apple was about to go out of business, uh, and they needed they had like ninety days left of cash. They bought Next. Next came in, and that's sort of how Apple transitioned into the OS ten iPod, iPhone, Apple of today. Um, and so that that move obviously was a huge one for them. But Apple is a company that traditionally doesn't make huge acquisitions. They make a lot of acquisitions. They made 24 within the last year. But none of them, most of them are not really large established companies. Apple likes to take a team's uh, philosophy or software or whatever and sort of embed it within Apple's own products or future products. So to be talking about or potentially buying a very solidified company like Beats um, who have an average revenue per year about $1 billion and a valuation about of about $1 billion to buy that is a huge, a huge thing. What, what was your sort of initial reaction? Um, well, the thing that I was most interested in was that, you know, so they're now going to own Beats Music streaming service, which is a, you know, as we talked about last week, I'm definitely a fan of, but like, so what happens? Do they shut down iTunes and downloads and, you know, like, um, there is a great 
quote in that article uh, we were talking about on Quartz about Steve Albini and the music industry that, you know, hilariously, John Bon Jovi, the big thinker he is, blamed uh, Steve Jobs for the death of the music business. I mean, what's the music, you know, the funny, the really funny thing about this is you're talking about Jimmy Iovine, who's one of the heads of a major label. What if Apple just throws away iTunes downloads and throws away all that revenue? Or do they keep this and keep getting your father who still downloads music to his iPod and buys music instead of using a Spotify or a Beats or an audio? You know, like, what's the move here? That's the thing I'm so, so curious about is like, so you're going to have a streaming service, you're going to have iTunes match and this download thing. Like, what what is the move here? Well, so that's what we started texting about the other day. And, you know, we were we were kind of unsure, like, well, are they just buying Beats music or are they mm. buying the headphones? And then it quickly it quickly was realized, oh, no, of course, it's the whole entire thing. Uh, mm. And so as sort of people have had time to digest the news instead of sort of just freaking out with random articles, a lot have come out being like, actually, Apple probably doesn't care about the streaming side of Beats much at all. Uh and if that's the case, like there's a lot of discussion that it's it's mostly about the hardware. Uh, so I I personally have never worn or used a pair of Beats. I know that everyone thinks that they are terrible. Uh, I I would assume you you are the best judge of that. But at the same time, answer answer along with that: Are they less terrible than Apple's own earbuds? So, as an audio dork who owns a five hundred dollar pair of headphones. I, in Chicago, I was waiting for my girlfriend to get out of work, and there was a store that allowed you to blind test headphones. Um, Funny thing is, I plugged in my iPhone, listened, and, you know, the guy literally put a blindfold on me and did it, put them on me. Um, Out of a bunch of headphones under $200, I chose the Beats, blind tested. Um, I do think they're better than the Apple ones, but I'm a big fan of the Apple. The Apple ones have gotten much better in quality. Um, over the years and for something that's easy to strap on it's great but you know they colored the sound and as somebody you know to get into a greater discussion uh, as an audio engineer and somebody who appreciates music i don't think you should alter the eq curve that a um, producer chooses for the record and a mastering engineer chooses for the record that greatly and they alter that eq curve so much that i have to own a pair of beats just so i know when somebody calls me about a master if the reason the master sounds terrible is because they're listening on beats. And a lot of time, that's the thing is like when you're on big bass music, that EQ curve gets really, really gross and away from the um, producer's intent. Right. When, and so, so that, there's, that's interesting, but I don't know. I, to me, Apple, I mean, sorry, music as Apple frequently, frequently says is in their DNA. You know, they hold, yep. they often hold their, an own sort of big event just about music just about whether it's an ipod or you know an itunes radio whether that's been a success or a failure apple clearly cares about music the ipod was changed the world you know itunes changed the world and i read a bunch of interesting thoughts that um you know beats is the ipod of today or beats is the itunes of today in terms of a brand that like screams music you know Mm -hmm. i i don't know there are two headphones that i know of when i am in a subway or walking down the street right they're the white ones by apple they're earbuds or they're beats if you know if you're wearing a different kind of 
uh, over the ear or in ear headphones, I have no idea what they are unless they're ear earbuds from Apple or Beats. Yeah. You know, by Dre. Those are the only two I know. And Apple is, you know, a lifestyle or an experience or a brand kind of company. Um, and Beats, in terms of music, they might be the loudest next to the iPod in terms of most recognizable, you know? So if you oh, yeah. think about it from a purely hardware a hardware perspective, and Apple is a hardware company. Uh, they're not a software company. They're a hardware company. That's where mm-hmm. they make all of their money. Um, so what if, you know, what if suddenly you now have the option to buy, um, you know, an, an iP or an iPhone with beats or they come with beats or something like that, then that's a win-win. You know what? Now every, every pair of beats you see walking down the street, that's Apple. Yeah. And and that's uh, huge. Beats has 85% of the market share, even with, um, the Apple headphone coming with every iPhone. Right. Um, but you know, there's also the thing that beats also come with Androids, which is also an interesting thing. Cause I'm sure that, uh, tie is going to be set. Yeah, well, H- yeah. HTC used to own beats, uh, and they were, oh, I didn't bought. That. yeah, yeah. H- HTC was sort of bought beats or a, a large stake in it. And so beats technology was put into every HTC Android phone for, for a while. Uh, and that deal kind of ended, but that, that was what that was. Um, what's, Peculiar, or will will we will soon find out if the deal does happen? Is that Apple has a lot of subcategories, right? They have the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, mm-hmm. whatever. They've never though bought a different company and made that brand one of their categories. So again, you know, you have an iPod and you have earbuds, but Apple has never before bought a company and suddenly sold their product as their own. What Apple typically does is they buy a company, they shut it down, and they repurpose that technology somehow. Um, yeah. So it, it would be really, it would be curious if Apple were to buy Beats for three point two billion dollars, and suddenly all Beats were taken off the market, and a year later they came out with their new, a new line of headphones, tight, uh, you know, titled something else. Um, but it would also be weird if. You know, Apple just started selling Beats as their own only because Apple has never done that before. So it's really, I don't know, there's so many different variables and so many different things to think about in terms of how does this even work? It, it's really, it's just a bizarre move on all fronts, I think, right? Yeah, no, and you know, um, New York Magazine like made like one of the stupidest guys. They're like, what is Johnny Ive going to even do with uh, a Beats? Like, how can he do that? It's like, you know, this is like one of the greatest geniuses in design. Like, he'll do fine and even the stuff he did before apple was all great hardware stuff that looked amazing and i'm really curious to, like you know is it going to be beats by apple right yeah or do they again like i don't know why they would ever if they bought beats it would be so strange to sort of to close to shut it down right and to yeah so it feels like they want beats because they want that brand and music is important to them and it's you know, as the iPod sells less and less down to zero, it is still really important for Apple to have music as their thing, right? And so, you know, if more and more people suddenly have a Beats, you know, a headphone on them on the bus or train or whatever and work, then that's Apple won that category again, you know? Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that, that that's another thing is too is like as the iPod diminishes, but, you know, and like, you know, there's the big argument that only a certain amount of the market ever is going to own an iPhone. 
um, because of its closed nature. But like, um, you know, they keep defying that. And, you know, you, you and I are humongous Apple fanboys, obviously. And um, yeah, we're, we're the exception to everything about a lot of things that we <laughs> yeah. would talk about. Um, but I don't know. I, I agree with this. Another thing I read was if you think about when Apple pivoted and put iTunes on Windows, that would that that sealed the game. If Apple didn't do that, someone else would have, and they would have never sort of won the whole battle for the iPod for the MP3 player. But they did do that, and then it was game over because everyone started to use iTunes, and then everyone bought um, an iPod uh, and. You know, if if they want to take beats and use the brand for what it is now and not sort of dice it up, there's no reason if you own an Android or a Windows phone that you can't buy beats anymore, you know? And that would again be another win, I think, for for Apple or and for beats, you know, if, if that continues to just be everywhere. Yeah. And I think, you know, like one of the more interesting things I was thinking about this morning too is um I wonder if they've seen some numbers because um one of the other interesting things is Every Windows computer now comes with Xbox Box Music, which while we talk about uh, Beats, Spotify, and RDO being the big streaming, Xbox Music is basically the same thing, and it comes with every Windows computer, and um, they now have a direct competitor to that as well if that's coming with every new Mac. And that also solves a lot of Beats problems of the fact that they don't have a free option like Spotify and RDO, and... They're going to literally just put this packaged in with every iPhone and every Mac device. That's a huge thing and comes with so many subscribers and is a really, really big thing. Yeah, and so that's the other part of this, of course. Like, we've just been talking about hardware, but, you know, you started you started talking about streaming. Uh, mm-hmm. And my, a lot of sort of first initial re- reactions were like, well, why not RDO, Apple? Why not buy RDO, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's when I think people started realizing that, well, maybe a lot of it's about hardware. But regarding the actual software of Beats Music, Beats only has somewhere between 100 and 200,000 subscribers. Yep. Apple has 800 million, million uh, <laughs> iTunes accounts. They have 800 million credit cards dialed in. Uh, so clearly, Apple's not buying Beats uh, for those streaming numbers, you know? But maybe they do want beats music rather for whatever for iTunes stream, let's call it, you know, whatever whatever they want to do. Yeah. Um and I don't know. I, I think it would be an easy way for Apple to just sort of shuffle in a new streaming service and to code it with ever whatever kind of paint they want to use for, for what it's called or what it looks like. Um because of course Beats was originally Mog. But at the same time, like I don't know that Apple couldn't just build this themselves. Apple could build it themselves, but uh, so one of the interesting things is a good friend of mine um, was the lawyer that negotiated all of um, Mog's counts with uh, labels and stuff like that. And that costs millions, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, just the lawyering of getting all this stuff to work. So them buying this just basically solved development time that they don't have to put into it. Um, And it's it's that, that thing with startups is just... Sometimes it's easier to buy something that already has the technology there, and then you just do a few tweaks to get it to work with your thing, and that's that. And, you know, they have a fantastic service. Beats it, Beats is, you know, as I wrote in my article for Property Zach, it's, I think it's great. It's just missing one or two features. That would be amazing. And they need to have a way to export your playlist from 
Spotify and RDO in two beats. I was looking for that for a friend this morning, and it just does not exist, and that's a real tragic flaw. Yeah. Um, I mean, so would you be happy to use a streaming service by Apple? Or or, or oh, yeah. are you complete? Are you happy with, you know, RDO or Spotify or whatever you use? I, I use RDO. And I would love to switch from RDO, but I'm addicted to the new releases page each week. Right. And because um, Beats doesn't have that, I can't switch over. Because um, that's basically how I consume music every week is scrolling through that and seeing what the new releases are. I actually, I would call that new releases page one of the greatest innovations of music in the history of music is that every week I can just say, all right, Pitchfork's yelling about this band, Properties Act's yelling about that band. They have a new record. Let's see how it sounds. And I, you know... I take some time every week to scroll through that, and it's, you know, for somebody who grew up buying CDs and having to buy them to hear them, that that's the greatest innovation in music of the last 20 years for me. So let's say Apple buys Beats, mm-hmm. uh, and either they shut it, they shut down the streaming service tomorrow for six months or a year or whatever, right? But eventually it pops back up, and it's either called Beats or it's called, you know, iTunes on the go, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um what do you think that means for iTunes? iTunes of today. I think that, I, as we were discussing this, I can't imagine they're going to get rid of it. Now, I wonder if, like, you know, so Spotify and RDO, and I haven't tried it on Beats, but, um, you know, they allow you to store songs for when you're on the subway. Right. I wonder if Apple uh, doesn't allow that and makes it so you have to buy them to do that. Right, and um, I, I don't know that there's anything is. wrong with that, right? That that would be frustrating, I suppose. Uh, but I, I think that that's a, a um, I think that's a very very bad move on their part if they do that. Whenever you're the the last person to, you know, not allow something, right? Um, you're you're on the bad end. I think Apple's smarter than that. Um, I do too. So I just wonder. I just wonder what they would do. I mean, there's no way that they ever shut that down, right? Because you know, people also buy TV and movies and whatever yeah. and apps through the iTunes store. That, that, that's the interesting thing, too, is somebody was telling, a friend of mine was telling me the other day, I don't have this confirmed, but that sector is growing while their iTunes downloads is growing, which is also funny timing for this, too. Um, that, what do you call it? Like, you know, some people said that this was a deflection because iTunes is going to come out with shrinking numbers and they wanted to show that they're moving forward to their... Uh, investors i don't think there's anything wrong with that that's not like it's not not a bad it's not a bad thing of apple to want to go hey like you guys asked for streaming we we have your solution now you know i'm not saying it's bad but i'm saying when you have to answer to a board and they see that itunes is dying that's a scary thing for board members absolutely Um, and that's that's why i think um if you take the full picture of you get these shiny new headphones mm -hmm. and you know, you get the streaming service. Well, that that's so that's pretty attractive. You know, um, but there's still clearly such a large. You know, there are way more people in the world that have no idea what Spotify is than that do. You know, my mom, True. my dad have no idea what that is. Uh, or maybe you know, maybe they've heard about it on like the you, Today you, you, Show, but you, they you, have no idea. You don't push it on them like I do. No, there's just no point. <laughs> yeah, but at I the same like- time, they know like. Everyone reads about what Apple does once or twice a year when they open a paper, right? If it's an older, if it's like an older person or whatever, whether it's a paper or something online, right? 
there are a lot more people talk about Apple than they do about Spotify because Apple is this massive thing and these other companies are big to us, but they're not really that big in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So if Apple in six months, in a year, whatever, comes out with their Spotify Beats, Spotify uh, competitor powered by Beats, and all you have to do with your new iPhone is scan your fingerprint into your iTunes store and all of a sudden you're paying 5 or $10 a month or $100 a year for this service, there's this whole other bridge of, enough, you know, like a, a stampede of people who might find using it so much easier. And then, oh my God, it's incredible. I can just type in whatever and find this song from 30 years ago. That's, yeah. you know, that... That was such a joy of iTunes when it debuted 10 years ago, but can be refound now, you know? And, and instantly, too, which is the, the coolest part. I mean, you know, as somebody who's 36 years old, there's nothing cooler than remembering a song from 1994 by an obscure punk band from Gainesville, Florida. And seeing that you can listen to it right then and there is, you know, another one of the greatest things to happen to music. And a whole new realm of people finding that is really going to change the world and probably also bring out some really cool hidden gems. Like one of my favorite things. Um, so uh, this week I saw the band Slint live and, you know, can I ask you a quick question? Yep. So what's Slint? There I go. There I go. <laughs> so Zach Slint's a band from before you were bored. Okay. Uh, they, Never played a show after their amazing record, Spiderland, came out. So, Slint, I would argue to say that if you're into, like, that the world is a beautiful place, if we're calling that, like, style emo, uh -huh. um, if we're calling that emo, they invented it, pretty much. They invented the weird Algernon Cadwater, or however you say that band's name, like, type of drumming Twinkle Daddies type emo thing. Um, and so that record was like a legend, like when I was growing up. It was like no one knew anything about them. And so um, they just had a movie called Breadcrumb Trail come out about them that is one of the best. You don't even have to like the band to just see. This movie is the funniest music mo movie, and it's so cool. But it's one of those records that just word of mouth, you know, they said it for years while records still sold. It would just sell more copies every year, even though the band didn't exist. Right. And, um, you know... Um, I forgot what my original point was and why I brought up Slint now. But oh, I think you just like finding a band like Slint online, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, that, that like Slint or um, that band Death, like the idea that you can have these gems get uncovered, even though the band's not it. We're going to see a whole new generation of that come about when we're able to have, you know, uh, uh, the writer Douglas Wolk called it the, the Celestial Jukebox. Like, that, that's available to everybody. There's going to be so many forgotten records that are going to just get huge yeah i mean something like something like american football even gets so much easier right if uh you see 10 bands talk about it on tumblr you reblog a song on tumblr and mm. it's like wow i love this song never meant instead of opening up you know whatever different streaming service just oh it's an itunes cool i can just stream it on itunes um yeah. for, for me you know i i rarely rarely buy music digitally right i'll buy I'll buy something on Bandcamp if I'm just like, if the band's really small and I like it and I want to hear it and they don't have vinyl or there's no way I'm going to buy that on vinyl. Um, but I do buy a lot of records on vinyl and those all yeah. come with digital download codes. So that's, unless I'm getting like an advance of music, that's usually how like 
new music is being downloaded onto my computer, right? So um, to me, like, it doesn't really matter if something like iTunes Store goes away, even though I think there's no chance it will. But it, it, to me, it's just like, well, that's not how I download music. I buy a physical record. Yeah. But I know I would stream so much more music if it was built into iTunes. Um, so it's definitely, I would love that just because iTunes I have open all day long and that's where I listen to music or podcasts or whatever. You know, I don't really like to have, like I use audio when I want to stream music, but I, I just wish it could all be in one, you know? Um, yes. And so I think it would be just truly for the sake of ease, right? It's just another one less thing, one less thing for you to do. And again, if you have something like a fingerprint scanner or touch ID thing on your iPhone and it's just like, oh yeah, cool. I'll do a four month trial of $3 a month, you know, whatever yeah. it is. It's just like, that's a, that's an impulse buy and that's yeah. great. That's perfect. And you know, it's not like Apple isn't going to have, you can buy this album for nine ninety nine by tapping here, you know, they're going to have that. And yeah. I think it's sort of hedging a bet that they do have those 800 million credit cards. You know, feet, like if Apple does it right, they could sort of really like break this streaming game open into a different level, right? And that's oh, yeah, the difference. Yeah. That's the difference. Like Spotify and RDO, millions of people use it, but it's nothing compared to, you know, how many people could potentially use it. And, you know, we're sort of waiting for an Amazon or a Google or an Apple to, to bust it open for everyone. So this could be that. And I, 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 I think you're using the wrong word there. That could. This is that. This is the. This is basically what we just saw is the death of download. Music will be all about streaming. If your marketing plan or your life's about downloads and that's how you're thinking about you're going to make your music, it officially became obsolete on Thursday. That right. that is that that is now a a um you know a thing that's on life support. Um, it's going to be done. Um. And yeah, as long as, as as long as Apple would implement it right, yeah, and I don't think that's I don't think that's a bad thing, you know. I, I mean, I, I th I, there's no chance Apple doesn't innovate it right. I mean, maybe that's the fanboy in me talking, but I think it's that's, just such it's, a large opportunity, especially if you're coupling it with something like every iPhone you buy now comes with whatever the their Beats their version of Beats is, you know. Like, I don't, I I would if uh, Apple Chan transitions like their earbuds into something like beats like beats earbuds I'm like i don't care sure i'm yeah. i'm in like they look cool i only look cooler right yeah uh if uh, they if there is if, if there's an option when i buy my iphone to spend 30 more dollars instead of getting the free in-ear ones to get the over the ear ones all right you know whatever cool that's easy it's an easy it's an easy buy because the phone itself is 400 bucks sure i'll spend an extra 30 you know yep I, I think it could be great. I yeah, I think I think so too. So do we want to do uh, recommendations? Yeah. Um, what do you got? What do I? What do you? What do you got? Give me a sec. What uh, do you got? Well, I I, I kind of said it before. Um, if Slint is playing in your town, that was one of the greatest shows I've seen. Um, and their movie Breadcrumb Trail about their history is a must see. Um, I mentioned before I loved Palo Alto last night. Um. Music-wise, uh, the funny story is uh, there's this guy, Jay Paul, J-A-I-P-A-U-L, and the he has these leaked demos that apparently his, the story goes his brother put um, up online. He's been signed to XL, which is the biggest indie label in the world. 
um, for four years and has only put out two songs. So 14 of them, 15 of them leaked out, and they are the greatest thing I've heard in a long time. So not to encourage illegal music downloading since that's the only way you can get it, but I encourage this illegal music download since it's just some of the most amazing music I've ever heard in my life. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I uh, this week I have there there are two two younger bands I guess one band's called Sorority Noise. Um, I like that. They name. they are a side project, but definitely like a full intentional band uh, from the singer of Old Gray. Uh, and it kind of fits in well if you like something like Modern Baseball. They have an album coming out on May thirteenth uh, called Forgettable. It's it's good. And then there's another band called Marietta that released an album last year called summer death that is very uh twinkly with a lot of emo uh it's not something that i would necessarily typically love but it just kind of hits that spot so i i think that works for me awesome i like twinkly as a uh adjective now too for uh for music yeah it's just you know recommend if you like twinkly <laughs> very cool Yeah. Well, well, great. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you want to find out more about the show, go to offtherecord.fm. And if you're looking for show notes, go to offtherecord.fm slash tag slash episode. You can find Jesse on Twitter at Jesse Cannon. And you can find me at Zizarillo. Uh, make sure to subscribe or rate us on iTunes if you can. That helps a lot. Uh, and we'll be back soon. <laughs>